0: Okay, let's say we did not get to the last few verses of Joshua chapter 7. Most, Lord willing, of our class tonight will be in Joshua 8. We have a little bit to cover in Joshua 7. But going back to Joshua 6, where Paul taught, you remember that they would have marched around Jericho uh, once a day for six days. and the seventh day, they marched seven times. They shout, the walls fall down flat. And God said to put silver and bronze in the treasury of the Lord, but nothing was to be taken for personal use. And a man named Achan took some things from the plunder or the spoil of the city of Jericho. As a result, when Israel goes up to battle I, without consulting the Lord, 36 men... Die, Joshua prays before the Lord and says, why did we ever cross the Jordan? Why weren't we content on the other side of the Jordan? And the Lord says, get up and deal with this sin. Because until this sin is dealt with, I am not going to be with you anymore. You have to deal with the sin which is in your midst. And they take the people and they separate them by tribes and then by clans and then by families and then by mans. And find that Achan is guilty of sin. While Achan has done great wrong, he at least acknowledges. He fully accepts responsibility finally and says, I have sinned against the Lord. We stated, that he sh- we showed the other day that he did that in the strongest I have sinned. Doesn't blame anyone else at that point. Now, verses 24 through 26 is where we left off. Let me read it. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughter, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, And they brought them to the valley of Acre. And Joshua says, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. And they stoned them with stones. After they had stoned them with stones. In verse 26, They raised over him... A great heap of stones that stands there to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. Now, you may wonder why I wrote those Hebrew words on the board. What I want you to see is those words, I think you can see even if you don't know a word of this language, that the first two letters of these words are the same in each case. This first name is the word Achan. Now, we could have added the vowel pointings, but but these are the consonants which were uh, originally the text in in Hebrew. Then this is the word Aker. And this is a verb that means brings trouble. And it is used in twice in verse 25. So you have this word play going on between the name of the man, what they eventually call the valley. I don't know if it took its name just because of this incident. And then the word brings trouble. He is making a play. Achan has brought trouble on the people. And the place is called the Valley of Acre. Now, I would say, and I thought about a way, I thought about sending this to to Paul to see if we could project this. But I thought about it. We don't have a projector Uh, in this class or a television set at all Um, so I, I, I didn't try it. But if you just type in, look in the internet and type in something like Aiken of the Bible plus art I saw a couple of pictures that were interesting and one of them one of them would have been pretty horrible to see enacted as they were showing Achan and his family and all Israel with stones, stoning them. That would have been horrible to see. And the picture was, in some sense, disturbing. But that's what happened. The fact that we would be so troubled by that picture. What may that show us about us? Maybe it's an ugly picture but maybe we just do not grasp. How ugly and hideous and horrible sin is to God. To see a whole family and even their livestock stoned in such a fashion. And I take it that they were stoned first and the burning was probably after they died. In order to just show that they're completely repudiating this sin. It would have been a horrible thing to see, a horrible thing to experience, and yet it shows us the profound seriousness of sin. And I think we also should take that into account when we wonder, well, how is it that God could tell Israel to go and destroy the city of Jericho and God could tell them to destroy the city of Ai and to destroy even the children? And I know the children personally haven't sinned, But maybe death for them was better than growing up in such a sinful and godless environment. I think, just look it up and see if you don't kind of feel the same hesitance about the picture. But that's what it told me about myself though. But I would state this, that... That phrase, Valley of Acre, is very interesting in verse 26. I want to tell you anything you know about the Bible can open up your eyes to something else in the Bible. And Hosea 2, verse 15, makes a reference to this event. The prophet Hosea makes Old Testament allusions all of the time. He is constantly making Old Testament allusions. And in Hosea 2, in verse 15, I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. The valley of Acre is a door of hope. Now, we don't think about Joshua 7... Ending on a positive note, a a a door of hope. But you see, the chapter opens, Joshua 7 open by describing the Lord's anger that burned against the sons of Israel. But... In 726, the Bible says they raised over him a great heap of stones. It stands there to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. God's anger is burning in verse 1. At the end of the book, God's anger has been turned away. It is a serious thing when there's sin among a group of people. But in this particular case, they deal with sin in such a way, and I know it's a very severe way, but they deal with sin in such a way that it turns away the fierceness of God's anger and opens up a door of hope. No one wants to exercise church discipline. No one wants to practice it. No one wants to withdraw from someone. And but if church discipline is dealt with properly, again, it opens a door of hope, just like we see in this particular passage of scripture. Now, what else do you see? There's only one other reference that this is mentioned in a genealogy. First, uh, first. Uh, Chronicles 2.7, I believe Achan is given the name Acre, which again, it would be very close in spelling. And Isaiah 65 verse um, 10 also mentions, I think, the valley of Acre. But any other questions or comments on that section? Phil? On that verse 26, my Bible has a note that the Acre, i.e. Trouble... Is there, is there a connection between acre? I mean, other than yeah. them being different words, though. Well, the is, thing is, this, this is a... Um, they may say, they may be commenting that there's some manuscript evidence that leaves out that letter, which is the only difference between those two words. And valley of trouble. yeah, in valley and, and so in the word would basically be the same word that's translated trouble as a verb yeah. there in verse okay. twenty-five. So I, I was I didn't look that up, but that is my suspicion field. Okay. Any other ideas or thoughts? Okay. Yes, go ahead. What do you call it? what 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 a verb i would say that bring trouble would be the verb acre would be a proper noun yeah but but if and it depends on hebrew on how they're pointed do any of you remember how the verb is generally pointed in hebrew it's a qal and a patal, But uh, a noun is usually pointed differently. Um, but you can tell someone by those points whether something's a noun. is whether something is a verb or a, um, a noun. But none of it... So I'm going to, have to, I'm going to have to keep emphasizing that because none of you will know that, so I'll have to do the proper pointing of a verb. <laughs> Bob? Just an observation that I've had in the past, and was always just something that I made I mean, an assumption of when I read the story, uh, is if we could look at the aftermath of the account of Aiken and what we would look upon, Yeah, uh, it would look like the city that was marked for destruction by God. Yeah. So the rubble of stones burned with fire. Uh, So there's this picture of of the city and Achan uh, in his transgression he marked himself for destruction. Yes, yes, he sure did. And And look at the disaster he brings on his whole family. Uh, If we truly believe (coughs) that sin would bring disaster on our whole family like this um, that would be a, a reason to avoid sin very much so okay um, okay let's look at um, Judges 8 Joshua 8. Temporary insanity, forgive me. Okay. 8.1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go to Ai, and I will give, and I have given into your hand the king of I, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to the king, you do do to I and its king, just as you did to Jericho and its king, and you shall take um, only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. Now, they have just experienced a victory in their efforts to take this particular city of Ai. And so because they've experienced a a defeat, God says at the beginning of this section, He says, do not fear. Do not fear or be discouraged. Now, according to one thing that I read, and I didn't trace this diligently, you know there are all kinds of warnings not to fear in the Old Testament. But there are only two that have this do not fear or be discouraged. Do not fear or be dismayed some of your translations can have. There are only like three other verses where this appears. One of them is Deuteronomy 1 in verse 21. This is in the context that Moses is telling the people don't fear or be dismayed when he is Talking to the spies that are searching out the land. The other passages are in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 13, and 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20, where the Bible is telling David, encouraging David is encouraging Solomon to build the temple. Do not fear or be discouraged. So, usually, you don't find that full format. But isn't this interesting that just after they have experienced the defeat here, they have dealt with sin properly, they've dealt with sin in the right way, and now God is saying, Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, don't let that former defeat lead you uh, to be afraid. Now get up and go. How does God's military strategy that He gives in this passage? differ from what the spies said or uh, what what the spies said in chapter 7 verses 2 through 5 how does it differ everyone oh, the whole army okay you take your men of war and you go they originally said back in chapter 7 in verse 3, only bring up 2 or 3,000. All the people do not need to go. But now he says you take all the people of war with you. But also, uh, one of the things that God does too is God emphasizes his part of the story. I have given you the city. That will be stated at least three times in Joshua 8. In verse 1, in verse 8, 7 and in verse 18, that God has given them the city. And he says, you're going to do to I and its king like you did to Jericho and its king, but now they are allowed to take the spoil and plunder for themselves. They were not in the case of Jericho, but they are in the case of I. God gives instruction here at the end of verse 2. He gives a little instruction in the military tactic. God says, set an ambush behind them. Now, I think the things that that Joshua is going to say later about setting an ambush, it seems like it was all at God's command. And so God probably uh, stated that in fuller form than is stated right here because Joshua will narrate it in fuller form in verses 3 through 8. But let's look at verses 3 through 8. Joshua rose up with all the people of war. God said, take all the people of war. He arose with all the people of war. He went up to I 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. Now, now notice that at night. I want to come back to that in a moment. In verse 4, He commanded them saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready that I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out to meet us as at first, then we will flee before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing before us as at first. So we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord has given your God, the Lord your God is, will deliver it into your hands. Then it came about, will come, it will be when you seize the city that you will set the city on fire, and you shall do according to all. According to the word of the Lord, see, I have commanded you. Forgive me for my problem reading that. Verse 9, so Joshua sent them away, uh, and they went to the place of ambush and remained there between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai and spent the night among the people. Do you all recognize what that's saying about the plan? The men of Ai have won the first victory in the city. Often winning a victory just like it did Israel can make you overconfident. And Joshua and his men are going to go out to fight and they're going to act as if they're being defeated and they're going to run. The men of Ai, he predicts will pursue them, trying to finish them all. When they pursue Israel, the people in ambush are going to arise and go attack the city and to destroy the city. Okay? That's the battle strategy. And I take it when God said in verse 2, said an ambush, that He laid out those elements because he tells the people in verse 8 to do according to the word of the Lord. God is even, God the warrior is even giving them battle strategy. What is the significance of the at-night that I mentioned in verse in verse um, 3? What's the significance? Well, you don't want them to see you for, uh, setting up the ambush. So yeah. uh, you kind of want to do that unbeknownst to them. So doing exactly. I, I think that just gives them... The cover of darkness allows them to set up this ambush away from the seeing eyes of the men of eye. It, it does appear that Joshua and the people, as we'll see in the next section, they are doing what they're doing and camping where they're camping, plainly and openly. They not only don't mind being seen, they want to be seen. And they want the enemy to think that they're all that they have. But the men in ambush are trying to keep secret uh, where they can follow this. They can uh, get up and go into the city when the people are drawn away from the city. Now, if you read this section really carefully, and we'll try to point out some of this later, but what happens is exactly what Joshua said is going to happen. And it will use a lot of the same kind of vocabulary in order to convey that. Right now, any question, any idea, right there about that, Mindy. This is going back a little bit. I'm sorry, but I just was really struck by how the story of Achan foreshadows Christ. That they had sin in their midst, and then the sin was removed, and now they're blessed. And Achan was almost a little bit like a sacrifice. You know, like he was being burned, and they had the, the stones, and how much he needed. A different sacrifice in place of him. And then God's wrath was turned away. And how yes. Christ steps in to do that for us. Very good. Because otherwise we are again. Very good. Um, and even the bad characters of Scripture, in a sense, foreshadow Jesus. You know, Samson the same way. When we get to him, Samson's not always an admirable character. But, but he does foreshadow Jesus in many ways. And I think you're exactly right. And, uh, and remember too, we talked about what do these stones mean? Do they pile a heap of stones over him? All of these things, reminders of the seriousness of sin, how when sin is dealt with, then it turns away the wrath of God. But the choice is for us. The choice for us is to either follow Jesus' turn to him for his forgiveness or to be like Achan. Who will eventually bear your own penalty? So that's a very good observation, Mindy. I'm sorry that I had not made that, but that is a very, very good point. Don't worry, I got you. Okay, thank you, <laughs> thank you for thank you for covering covering me there. And y'all may need to do that a whole lot uh, in this class. But uh, in verses ten through uh, thirteen, let's see what Joshua does. In verse ten, now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered his people, and went up with the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. Now when I'm reading this, it just seems like they want to be seen. They go up before the people of Ai. All the people of war were with him, who were with him went up, and drew near, and arrived in front of the city, and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and I, And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city. And Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley. Let's go ahead and read through at least 17. It came about... When the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up and went out to meet Israel in battle. He and all Israel at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Okay. Now looking at this text, uh, one of the reasons to read 10 through 17 together, there is some kind of connection made in the context between what Joshua's doing on one hand and what the king of Ai is doing. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 Joshua arose early In the morning, in verse 14, It came about when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out to battle. So both of them are rising early in the morning. Joshua's rising early and wanting to camp in plain sight of the people. and He's going to spend the night uh, there uh, in the midst of the valley. But... Uh, the king of Ai sees it and they hurry and get up early in the morning to rush out in battle. Uh, One writer was pointing out how the word "saw" is important in the context and the, the statement is made in 8.14 that the king of Ai saw this. He He saw this. Now later we're going to find that word used again. It's translated in the New American Standard Bible in 820. It's translated looked. But in both cases, it is the same Hebrew word. The king of I saw the men in front of the city. He sees part of the picture. He's not seeing all of it. Later when he sees the city on fire he will realize that there was more that he hadn't seen. And verse 14 shows us this clearly when it says he did not know There was an ambush against him behind the city. He's he's unaware of the danger lurking for him. But, But what happens in verse 15, 16, and 17, Joshua and Israel pretend to be beaten, and they, in verse 15, fled by way of the wilderness. That word, fled, was used in verse 5, and it was used in verse 6 twice to talk about what they planned to do. Verses 5 and 6 was laying out the plan. Now, the same word is used in verse 15 to talk about the execution of the plan. Their plan to act like they're defeated and to flee, to run away. And the Bible tells us that when the people saw it, they pursued Israel and were drawn after them. Now before it stated in verses 5 and 6 when they come out to meet us, we will flee before them and when they come after us and we've drawn them away from the city they've done exactly what they intended to do. The people of Ai reacted the way they were hoping they were reacting. All the people pursued them. They were drawn away from them and the Bible tells us there wasn't a man left at Bethel and there wasn't a man left at Ai. By the way, when the Bible says in verse 17 in eight seventeen, they left the city unguarded, they left the city unguarded, this particular word is actually a word that means forsaken. And it's the word that God uses in one five when He tells Joshua, I will not leave you nor forsake you. What God said He would not do for Joshua, these fighting men do to the city. They flee, they forsake The city. And there is no one left in the city who can adequately defend the city. So they've drawn the people away. In verse 18, the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I. Now I take it that this is visible, that this can be seen by them. Because this is a sign. He stretches out his hand, he stretches out the javelin that is in his hand, and when he does stretch out the javelin that's in his hand, the people quickly arise from ambush, and they enter the city, and they set it on fire. But notice the key. God said to Joshua, I have given you the city. This is by God's power. This is by God's strength. I also want you to notice the repetition of verse 18. God says, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I. Then, so Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Sometimes the Bible does that so frequently, we miss it. But you see so frequently in the Bible a command. And sometimes even within the same verse, the obedience to that command. Exactly what God tells him to do, he does. Now, let me read a passage to you. I may leave out something that might give it away too easily. Okay, It's going to be hard not to give this away too easily. But where do you read something like this? As for you, lift up your hand and stretch out your staff. Who do you think was told that? Moses. Moses, Exodus 14 and verse 16. Lift up your hand and stretch out your step. The word for stretch, same word, used here. Joshua's experience in Joshua 8, similar to Moses' experience, by the way, it says stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel will go through on the mist and dry land. I thought that would be too obvious, okay? But you got it with just stretching out your hand. But that's Exodus 14, verse 16. But the boy again... There's so many things in the career of Moses which are repeated in the career of Joshua where he acts in a similar fashion. The Bible says in verse 19, "...the men in ambush rose quickly from their place, and when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they quickly set the city on fire." The word quickly, which is used twice, in 819, used twice, is the same word, and I'm going by the New American standard in 814 that is translated hurry. It's the same root word. 8:14 is describing the action of the citizens of I. It's describing their actions, their activity. They hurried. They acted quickly. Now this is describing the action of the people of God, the people of Israel. They act quickly. They rose in their place. They captured the city and set it on fire. By the way, those are the things that God told them to do in verses 7-7. And 8, the things that Joshua told them to do previously, they are doing. In verses 20 and 21, now I want to ask you where these, what these sound like. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw the men in ambush, they captured the city and the smoke of the city ascended and they turned back and slew the men of Ai. Both times you see the smoke, them seeing the smoke of the city. In verse 20, the men of Ai saw the smoke of the city a sin. Then in verse 21, the men who were laying in ambush um, when they, they captured the city, the smoke of the city ascended and it seems like there that Joshua and his men see it. What does that remind you of? Uh, smoke of the city ascended to the sky. Sodom and Gomorrah? It does sound a little bit like Sodom and Gomorrah in 8, 20, and 21. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19, 28, and 29, mainly verse 28, but the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. That connection helps us to understand something. That connection helps us understand that these cities like Sodom and Gomorrah were being destroyed not just as an arbitrary act of a capricious God but as a holy judgment on sin. And there are a lot of passages in the Pentateuch that state that and there's some in the book of Joshua that state that. But there are a lot of passages Genesis through Deuteronomy that say This is a judgment on the sin of the Canaanites. And so, that's the situation right here in this text. There is also a connection in Hebrew between the word ascended, ascended or go up, And the word for a burnt offering, because the word for a burnt offering is very similar. It has an additional consonant on the end of the word. And I think that also symbolizes something of the importance of these cities. That in a sense, it is a destruction just like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but in a sense, too, this is a burnt offering that's being offered to God. By the way, when Israel comes into the land of Canaan, did they burn every city they conquered? No. What's a, what's a good proof of that? Some of you, many, shook your head no. Several are shaking your head no. But but what would be a good proof of that? Any of you? Well, they lived in some of them later. Right? Yes. You're going to have houses that you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. They didn't burn every city. They burnt Jericho, they burnt I. And later we're going to find in Joshua 11, they're going to, bore, they're going to burn hazor, uh, that they burned some cities. But that was not the common method for taking every city. In Jericho. And there's, there's some importance attached to that, which I hope we can get to, to later. But think about I know this is a judgment from God. But can you imagine the feeling of the men of life as they are drawn away from their city, confident of victory, over the sons of Israel a second time, and they all of a sudden look back and see their city on fire and not only on fire but the people who were inside the city are coming out and attacking them. Then those they had been pursuing turn around and start pursuing them and they are trapped between them with no way or no means to escape Verse 22, the others came out from the city to encounter them. So they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now it came about when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed, that all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both the men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Verse 27, Israel took only the cattle, the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai, made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. He hanged the king of Ai, On a tree until evening and at sunset Joshua Joshua gave commandment they took his body down from the tree, threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Okay. They kill all the people of Ai. They take the livestock as plunder in verse 27 just as God instructed them to do in verse 2. In no doubt that was a great blessing to the people. They burned I and made it a heap forever. Max fact the name ha- I actually carries with it that idea of heap in Hebrew. Um, and um, Let me ask you this. Have any of you ever heard this said that, and this is particularly said about I, that we can't view these conquests as historical because what we know of the city of I, there's no evidence that it was ever occupied or destroyed in the time the Bible would have attributed to it. From about 1500 to 1200 B.C. Have any of you ever heard that argument? Okay. That argument is out there. um, But let me tell you one of the difficulties with this. One of the things. Archaeology facts do not come out of the ground interpreted. You don't dig up something and it says... I am a jar made in I from 1,400 B.C. You don't have that. You have to interpret those remains. So you first of all have to find them and dig them up, which is a very very painfully slow process. And then you have to try to interpret those remains. But there was actually... Um, a, a, a new biblical archaeology magazine that broke off uh, a split in a biblical archaeology magazine they broke off because of an argument as to where I was actually located and they started a new magazine because they felt the city had been that the city that people were using and making that argument about that I just stated an argument by unbelievers. They were stating, no, no. I was misidentified. It wasn't at the place that you say. More could be said about that. And if, and if you have personal interest, I could point you Clavie, to places to pursue this. But, Mindy, I'm going to give you a shot here. Uh, yeah. Since you um, Did we some people stated people? something before of Joshua 7. When you look at Joshua 9, verse... Uh, 8 verse 29. What does that, how does that point, how can that point to Jesus? Oh, I got his son. Okay. He's hanging on a tree. Okay. Like okay, hang, he's <laughs> hanging on a tree. Check now, first. The sunset as well. Yeah, they take him, and why do they do that, Brad? um really Yes, yes, yes very good. Um, as Bob says, a passage in Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23. When you hang a criminal, you're to take his body down at sunset because exposing the body for prolonged times is viewed to defile the land. But, but here, the king of odd, this king, is taken, He it, it, because uh, of his sin, he is taken and um, hanged in a tree and then his body is taken down from the tree. The real king uh, of the Jews is going to be taken and hanged on a tree. His body also too will be taken down. But he will be the means of our forgiveness and our salvation. So even the book of Joshua, this, this book points us forward to Jesus and the salvation that that He brings. Um, anything else? I know we didn't get to thirty through thirty-five. We'll try to do that, Lord willing, on Sunday. Is there anything that you're seeing that we ought to comment upon that we didn't comment upon? I know there. I know it's there, whether we recognize it or not but uh, anything I, I noticed that um, so in, in verse 3 he chooses 30,000 men uh, to go at night and be part of the ambush then in verse 12 uh-huh. he has 5,000 men that Joshua is with him um and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city mm-hmm. I would assume that's the one that he's using to, to draw them out, the 5,000. I, I don't know if the numbers there are uh, well, easily it, translated or not It seems like to me that the the 25,000 may be in plain view and the 5,000 in ambush. Is, are you reading it the other way? I don't know. It's, does it say twenty five thousand? Well, I mean, I'm just subtracting 000, from the thirty thousand, gotcha. <laughs> you know. And uh, but um, but I tell you what. In, in my day, they taught math better in Dixon County than they did in your day. So it right. may be. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, Miss Manley might have something else to say. Yeah, to say <laughs> but <laughs> but um, no, don't ask Miss Manley about my club. Right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, so. Um, I, I, that's the way I took it, Brad. But but uh, that that may be a misreading something. But think about too those places like Bethel and I. Those those very names. Calls to mind Abraham's career and the places he wandered and the altars he built and God's promise of the land. God's promise of the land is called attention to by these, um, these places that they're going. Thank you. God bless. We'll start with 8.30 on, um, on a Sunday. Lord willing. And look into chapter 9. Thank you.